0: Well, it has been a, it's been a heavy week, hasn't it? It's been a heavy week. Um, watching the, um, all of the different news and the realities that are coming, uh, not just across our nation, but across the world this week, uh, I certainly found myself going through a, a wild range of emotions, especially around... Um, around what's happening in Afghanistan, some of them honestly flowing straight from pieces of, of uh, and pockets of sinful flesh inside me, and, and others from more sanctified places, uh, just identifying with the brokenness and the pain of humanity. Uh, yesterday, kind of as the day progressed and, and into uh, mid-afternoon and early evening, it, it became harder and harder for me to think of us just trucking on this morning, and so about... Right at 9, uh, 8, uh, 8.58, I believe, last night, I texted Beth Johnson, our service programming director, the one that makes sure all of these different elements that we often don't think of and, and most we don't see, but there are a tremendous number of them, are held together and all operate as they should and said, hey, I'm going to change everything up tomorrow, um, at least message-wise. I'm gonna, we're just going to push pause on the current series, and I want to do a, just a standalone message about when life is heavy. Um, and we're going to be looking uh, and working our way briefly through Psalm 23 this morning, a, a portion of Scripture that has historically brought tremendous clarity, a comfort and confidence to the people of God. So you can be finding Psalm 23 uh, if you want to. Jenny Allen uh, is uh, a sought-after Bible teacher, communicator. Um, author. She's a, a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary and the founder of the If Gathering. Um, I saw this, this post on Instagram from Jenny this week. Uh, she said, It's not weird if you are anxious in these chaotic times. It would be weird if you weren't. Life is new levels of crazy everywhere for you personally and just the world in general. And then she said this, I feel personally more anxiety than I have in 10 years. Just want you to know you aren't alone. So very true, this last week saw uh, an anticipated attack on our troops and Afghan civilians at the airport in Kabul as we continue uh, to try to get as many Americans and Afghan allies and people out as possible that took the lives of 11 Marines, one soldier and a Navy corpsman. Took the lives of at least, at last count, 167 Afghan men, women, and children. And injured dozens and dozens and dozens more. And yet our our brave men and women continue to stand their post at that airport outside those gates where only human contact, contact can do what is their job to do. It's produced a, a heaviness, and I know for many of us, a wild range of deep, deep emotions, as well as conversations, texts, and phone calls uh, with friends. And I know politically it's been a, a dizzying, chaotic time. A time where, in an odd way, there's been a a great deal of consensus that uh, there's a feeling the political leadership in our country right now has little to no idea what they're actually doing. Not about a, a decision to leave a nation, but about the execution of one. And leaders certainly make mistakes, but we're paid not to make big ones. And I think there's an understanding in this nation around the world that this has been a catastrophic one with the United States leadership at the very front of it that's going to continue to have national and international implications that we can only imagine right now for years and years to come. We've got Hurricane Ida that will be slamming into Louisiana today uh, that at least before I came out here, they said was around 10 miles an hour from being upgraded to a Category 5 hurricane, while we have people in Tennessee still trying to locate missing friends and family from a deadly storm last week. You got a Rikers Island correctional facility prison in New York City with parts of it completely overrun and being held by inmates now. Correctional officers at, a, at an all-time low, some of them reported working 20 and 25-hour hour days back-to-back back with no meal breaks, constantly being assaulted, all of this seemingly flowing from radically incompetent fairyland sort of ideological leadership that has very real implications. This week, some of you may have seen as I did... Um, Uh, A public school teacher in California, and I know it's California, but I lived there for quite a while. But what happens in California, what happens on the West Coast and the East Coast moves in, right? That's how it goes, and this is across the the board now. But we saw a public school teacher in California during the time when uh, the students were supposed to rise and to say the National Anthem, or or not National Anthem, the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Uh, And she said, you can stand or you cannot stand, I don't care, you can say it or not say it, but she had removed the American flag from her classroom. Now this is a, a government institution, right? Public school systems, public schools are government institutions. She'd removed that and she laughed about it and said, well, the flag's not there. So if you prefer, what is here is the gay pride flag and you can say your allegiance to that. And then she's so bold in this odd new world that we live in where there is no truth but whatever I dream up at a given time. To post a video about this on Twitter, which she's not so thrilled she chose to do today. But it's just, everything around us seems to be losing its footing. And society crumbles when the institution of family crumbles, and we've been hard at that for about 40 years now, and when the social institutions of a society crumble, And then there's just the everyday strange things that if you're a thoughtful person of average intelligence, you go, that's odd. I don't have a category for that. I saw one of these yesterday in Kroger. I've actually got a picture of it up here for you. It's a a drink called Bang, which I had never seen before. Now, you probably can't read the small stuff at the bottom, but this drink is called Bang, and it says it's potent brain and body fuel. Rainbow unicorn is the flavor. And then below it, it says natural flavors. I stared at that for far too long, thinking, what does a rainbow unicorn taste like? Where does one find one who raises them? Is there a rainbow unicorn industry? And, and I marvel at the fact that someone was paid good money to come up with this idea. And idiots buy it. And drink it. It's a heavy week in a bizarre and heavy time. And you throw over that the veneer of a return of COVID-19 through the Delta variant. Largely... Largely impacting the unvaccinated, though breaking through to some people who have been fully vaccinated. Their cases tend to be mild and pass quickly. But seeing people, maybe you have it, I have, uh, that you've respected or you've known, um, secondhand or maybe thirdhand or third person, passing away. And it's like, man, we thought we were mostly through this, didn't we? I mean, let's be honest, we were a little duped. We thought we were through this, and now it's raging back, and schools are struggling to deal with it. And of course, as always is the case right now in the current season of life in our nation, it's being political politicized again. I got a text just before I came out from a good friend who's a pastor in another state uh, on a little thread that I'm on with some other lead pastors, and he said, I just had a lady come into my office, he said, we have... Uh, Two people on staff here that work with children. We have a full-time uh, children's minister and we have an associate minister of children who's also a full-time uh, vice principal at a middle school in town. And she just came in with tears in her eyes, said, I, I've, I've got to resign my position of the church. She said, I can't, I can't minister here um, and do what I've got to do at school. It's taking everything out of me, not just COVID, but the general chaos and craziness. And she said, I need a place where I can just come in and sit and be fed. So where where do we go when all of these places that we've been sort of duped into running to, to find confidence and courage and peace and stability are are crumbling, and the veil is being pulled back to show them for what they are, fractured, broken, inadequate human systems and human beings, we go to the Redeemer of our souls. We go to the Creator of the world who says He holds it firmly in His good care and He will see His work through. Two of the great truths that are central to Scripture are this, that the kingdom of God will continue to advance to its fulfillment and victory, and the world will continue to get worse. Both of those things are true. But let's hear the voice of comfort, victory, and friendship from God in Psalm 23 this morning. I'll read straight through it. And then come back, and we'll walk our way down it. A couple of phrases in here will be a little different than you're used to. I would just say they are a little different um, for solid reasons. But I don't want you to... i tell you that now so you won't get caught up on it. Let's go. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's good reason that God has used this, this passage, this psalm, this, this poetic song of David to speak truth and comfort to his people throughout the generations. David certainly knew something in his own life of victory and failure, of confidence. And weakness of highs and lows. When he says, The Lord is my shepherd, part of what David is saying here is, The Lord is my leader. And the word we tr- translate Lord here, and some of you will know this, anytime you see Lord, all cats in the Old Testament, over 600 times, that's normally how it is. It's Yahweh, it's the name of God, it's the consonants. That God is revealed to be the name of the great I Am. Yahweh is my shepherd. God is my leader. Again and again and again in our country, we see the church of God buy into the foolishness of this idea that whoever's about to be elected is going to make everything great. When was the last time that happened? When was the last time someone elected made everything in your life great and solved America's problems and the problems of the world? They're not Messiahs, friends. David is saying, God is my shepherd and I lack nothing. I lack nothing. God promises all of the provision that is necessary for you and for me. And certainly, certainly, Jesus is paralleling this and picking up nuances from it. In John chapter 10, I want to read to you a few verses from John chapter 10, where Jesus reaches back to this Old Testament language about Yahweh being the shepherd. And declares that God is our shepherd through the person and work and presence of Jesus Christ Himself. John chapter ten, beginning with verse eleven. Jesus says, "I am the good shepherd." Now, I just want us to be. Sometimes we have this rosy sort of, sort of uh, a weak picture of shepherds, right? Soft guys carrying fluffy little little lambs. Shepherds were not soft guys. And lambs are not fluffy little creatures. They're ignorant and wild and they stink. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Shepherds are tough. They're calloused. Their skin is leathery and tan. Think rancher if it helps you out. In a western context. I am the good shepherd. Now listen to what he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand. Now Jesus is doing a contrast here. He's setting two things side by side. The good shepherd that lays his life down for his people. In other words, does whatever is necessary for the provision and the thriving and the deliverance of his people. Over against the pseudo shepherd, the hired hand. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. Hey, let me just just stop right here. How many of you are now or have ever been any kind of business owner? Anybody in here? Yeah. Do your employees go to bed thinking about the same things that you think about while you're going to bed? No. They don't because they're employees. Right? There's a different Wait. Jesus says the hired hand, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. He's a fractured, imperfect example of what the good shepherd is a perfect picture of. But there's only one good shepherd. So, whenever you and I place our faith in anything or anyone else, we will inevitably find ourselves demoralized, lacking, and crushed. Jesus is the only one who can bear the weight of Messiahship. He's the only one who doesn't fail. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand, and he doesn't care for the sheep. He doesn't care for the sheep. David says, God is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, this is really important. What is it that God as our shepherd does? David said he he leads us. Well, where does he lead us? He makes us lie down in green pastures. And he leads us beside beside quiet waters. He leads us in the way of rest. Anybody this morning in need of some rest? And I don't mean a nap. I mean rest. Where your mind and your heart and your soul and your body rest deeply. And feel and sense the satisfaction. Of the one you were created by the one in whose image you're made the one who is always calling you deeper and deeper into levels of relationship and i love that these are plural right it's not that that god makes us lie down in a green pasture or leads us beside a still or quiet water it's pastures and waters because there are cycles of this in life are there not there are. T- I mean, how many of you have ever had a moment with God personally at some event where, inside your heart, or maybe written in a journal, or maybe out loud, you said, "I will never again, ever do this," and you've done that two or three dozen times because we've been fractured by sin. We've been fractured by sin. And those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ and been saved by God's good mercy and grace are redeeming us. We have been redeemed. We are being redeemed. We will finally fully be redeemed. This is the testimony of the Word of God. We're being sanctified. These broken places are being put back together. We're being made whole, little by little, day by day. He leads us to rest. And these green pastures, there are are places in the ancient Near East, in the Middle East, where they are rich and lavish and green for a season. And the sheep can come in, and they don't have to work for it. They don't have to move here and there and go to this place and that place. They can just rest and eat and rest and eat because the pasture is green. He leads me beside quiet waters some of us this morning need to spend some time with god beside some quiet waters you need to get off social media for a while you need to turn the news off or severely limit your intake of it watch a hard news show you trust to give you the details of what happened during the day And then shut it off. Because friends, you're not in control of anything. You can't fix anything. And can I just tell you, God has not designed you to bear the weight of the world. You can't do it. He's not called you to do that. To attempt to do that is to place yourself in the position of God. It's idolatrous. God's got it. God's got it. You need some quiet waters. But he does something else. He doesn't just lead us into rest. Verse 3 says, he refreshes my soul. There's rest and renewal. There's rest and renewal. This is what God, the leader, the shepherd, the guide of our souls does for us. What David is saying here is he said, I have found in God as my shepherd the refreshing care that I need. God is all about the refreshing care of his people so that you and I might be more and more and more faithful and accurate image bearers of his in a world that desperately needs light and needs clarity and needs truth that purifies and heals and leads to human thriving he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Let's, um, let's deal with this just a minute. This is not so much about righteousness, the language here, as it is about the right way to get from one place to another in keeping with the shepherding metaphor here. He guides me along the right paths, the straightest path to my destination. And it may not feel that way to you, right? You may be in a season right now where you think God has gotten something terribly wrong, right? Like he should have used Waze instead of Google Maps. But David says, no, no, no. No matter what I think, no matter what I feel, no matter what season I'm in, God as the shepherd leads me in the straightest path to my destination, my glorification in him, in my final home with him him and he does this don't miss this because this is the the theological center of psalm 23 he does it for his namesake part of why you can trust god's work in you is in a sense that i need you to hear this morning it's not about you does god love you absolutely what more could he do for you but give his son on the cross he'll withhold no good thing from you the apostle paul says Yet the testimony of Scripture again and again and again and again is that God will be faithful to His covenant people in Christ for the glory and reputation of His own name. He will not be dishonored by abandoning His people. I find tremendous comfort in that. To give you a a broken, somewhat uh, inadequate human metaphor, there have been a time or two where my wife and I used a provider or use somebody that Dave Ramsey recommended. And I felt confident doing that and we had good experiences because I thought, if nothing else, Dave Ramsey does not want his name soiled. He's worked hard to build a name of, and a brand. The God of all creation who is worthy and the only one worthy of worship and glory will not have his name drugged through the mud by not showing up for his people. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Now, let me give you uh, another picture of this through Jesus' own words. Matthew 11, a passage uh, that has been a comfort to many. This, uh, this rest, this renewal this refreshing care that God provides for his people, Jesus is how that's provided. Jesus is the one through whom that comes. If you're absolutely weary and worn and empty, maybe you need to look again at what you're doing to position yourself day in and day out to be connected to Jesus, to receive from Jesus. You don't work for it, but he's not going to do it without your cooperation. Does that make sense? You can't change one thing about yourself. God does that, but he does it as you cooperate in ways that he's already revealed. Look at what Jesus says here. He says, come to me. Now, first of all, that's our responsibility, right? To come to Jesus. He says, all of you who are weary and burdened. Can can we not play church for 10 seconds in here? And can I just ask you by show of hands, who in here this morning in some way feels weary and burdened? I'm going to throw mine up. Thank you. He says, if you're weary and burdened, come to me. I will give you rest. He doesn't say I might. He doesn't say I can. He doesn't say it's within my purview as the one through whom all was created and has been redeemed. He says, if you are faithful to come to me, I will be faithful to give you rest. And it is an active, continuous kind of grammatical thing here. If you will keep coming to me, I will continue to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Many of you will know that that yoke was one of the ways that they would describe teaching. But it's this picture of having a, a load to carry and you've got to put a physical yoke around you and you would hold on to ropes or chains on either side and you would carry this load and the religious teachers and the systems and the philosophies of the day had all of these to-do lists and to-don't lists and it's amazing how many people think that's the gospel today it's just a different set or maybe a better list of to-dos and to-don'ts and if that's what you've heard you've not heard the gospel Jesus has come and take take my yoke, take my way of life on you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Isn't it nice to think of a leader who is gentle and humble in heart? Who can say, though Jesus will never have to, I messed up. Forgive me. And he says, you'll find rest for your souls. Now, he doesn't mean here for that little part of you that's shoved somewhere back behind your kidney or liver that doctors and nurses are still searching for. Soul is both a a Hebrew and a Greek way of talking about the totality of who you are. Your entire being, you as a person. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' yoke is not easy because he demands less but because he carries so much of the load for you and with you. Look at David. Even though I'll walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. This is a picture here again, staying faithful to the text and the metaphor that David is using between a shepherd and the sheep of the deep wadis, ravines, canyons, that exists throughout the ancient Near East where the straight path, the most correct, straightest way from where they are to the destination where the shepherd is taking them, he knows is going to be through one of those deep wadis or deep ravines or deep valleys where the sheep may get scared as the light tends to leave because the sun doesn't reach down there. But he says to us this morning, Maybe you're going through one of those wadis, those ravines, those dark canyons. I'm with you. You can't see the light, but I am the light. There's nothing to fear. I know where I'm taking you. And this is the right path. Stay with me. I will fear no evil for you are with me. He doesn't say I will fear no evil because I'm out of my training and I am just that good. And David could have said that. Humanly speaking, he was quite the stud. But he says, I will fear no evil because you, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These are just regular tools. Weapons, if you will, of the shepherd. He would beat off wolves with the rod and he would keep the sheep in line with the staff. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now listen again to the active agent in verses 5 and 6. You prepare you prepare a table for me. Who prepares the table? You or God? God. In the presence of my enemies. Part of what he's saying here is not even my enemies can keep me from what you have in store for me. And there's so many, like so much of, of God's revealed will in Scripture, there's so many nuances to this to the fact that the enemies are eating in your presence as well. Perhaps some of them are going to become friends as they see God's provision for your life. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is a picture of friendship and welcoming and rich provision. Now, who is it that anoints and causes the cup to overflow, you or God? Lord, people. Is it you or is it God that does the anointing? Yes, it's God. God brings you into friendship. God fills and refills and continues to fill. You make me nervous sometimes. Surely your goodness. We're going to try this again. Is it our goodness or God's goodness here? God's. Man, we'll be good by mid-afternoon. Yeah, surely your goodness. Parents, I'm totally kidding, right? We've got kids here too. Um, Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. Listen to me. So many of us feel like if the veil was really pulled back, we'd re- we would be revealed to be frauds. Men and women who just don't love Jesus like, like we want to and like others may sense that we do. People with, with brokenness and with sins and with struggles that we, we feel like we should have defeated already, but they're still hanging around. And if people just knew it and if God just knew it, he'd give up. Because we have this idea that God's willing to bless us and love us and accept us, but he's yearning to judge us, right? He's yearning to let the hammer down. And what David says here is if you'll look behind you, what's in pursuit of you as followers of Christ is not the judgment of God, but the love and goodness. The goodness and love of God. Is what's nipping at your heels all the days of your life. What's pursuing you, what's running you down, what's after you is the sovereign goodness and love of God. Not his wrath or his judgment. Christ has taken all of that on him on the cross. And I will dwell you prepare, you anoint. Your goodness chases me all the days of my life. Therefore, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is not simply a picture. Sometimes we can, we can over-spiritualize or, or look eschatologically at this toward the end times. Yes, David's making a nod there, but he's saying right now, today, Tomorrow, as many of you get up and go to work, you're able to dwell in the house of the Lord. Another way of saying the full presence and manifestation of the reality of God in Jesus Christ given to you through the Holy Spirit. You can dwell with him and will dwell with him forever. And this picture in verse 5 is a banquet picture, a party picture. That God is the author of joy. And He wants you to live with joy. That no happiness can can touch. And no brokenness can take away. W. Philip Keller wrote a book that I would recommend to you guys. It's a small one called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. In this book, Keller says this, All the care, all the work, all the alert watchfulness, all the skill, all the concern, all the self-sacrifice are born of his love. The love of one who loves his sheep, loves his work, loves his role as a shepherd. God doesn't look down and go, you guys are such a hassle. My world is such a burden. In every way that God operates, he operates out of the center of love. In every way. This is what we hold on to. The God of Psalm 23, the shepherd, the good shepherd Jesus says the one who if we will come to him and continue to come to him will give us rest and will continue to give us rest says the ball's in your your court this is who i am and i am yours you are mine and i am yours I want to read to you a few facts. One of the universities that I graduated from, in, in their magazine, a few months ago, they um, they put out a section of an article written by a woman named Dana McCall entitled "Class of Twenty Twenty: A Look Back at the History and Events That Shaped the Journey." And, and the article, overall, in the in the university magazine, is about the struggle and the battle that Gen Z is engaged in right now that, that teenagers, young college students are having with discerning and understanding truth and reality in a world of competing chaos and confusion and largely, largely products of, of churches that unknowingly failed them by not allowing robust dialogue and questions and honesty about doubt and engagement and I I just want to, to share with you some of what the class of 2020 these are students who just graduated last year some of what they have endured across their lifetime and has shaped their parents and their experience they were born on the year that two planes hit the Twin Towers on September 11th and the iPod was launched. They learned to walk and talk when the U.S. invaded Iraq and when Mark Zuckerberg launched Facebook from his Harvard dorm room. They were in preschool when a tsunami killed 230,000 people in Sri Lanka, India, Indonesia, Thailand, and Malaysia, and YouTube launched. They were in third grade when Osama bin Laden was killed by US Navy SEALs and Instagram launched. They were in fifth grade when a shooter killed 26 children and teachers at Sandy Hook Elementary School and bombs exploded at the finish line of the Boston Marathon. They were in 10th grade when hashtag me stories began flooding social media and the news and Twitter doubled its character limit. They were in 12th grade when the coronavirus pandemic spread worldwide resulting in nearly 125 million cases with a death toll approaching 3 million and counting. Social distancing became the norm. Stay-at-home orders were issued and schools worldwide closed or moved online, prompting an early end to high school for the 2020 graduating class and the loss of the graduation ceremony for almost all of them. And the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd prompted national outrage, protests, and a refracturing in major cities across the United States. Church, that's one, that's one generation. And as the man, as the band makes their way back out onto the stage and begins setting up to, to lead us in a time of response through worship and receiving of God through worship. I'll just tell you. It's no wonder there's so much anxiety and strain and stress and it's beginning to break out through the fissures and cracks in our souls. And the only one who can lead us safely, clearly, and without hesitation through this season is the creator and sustainer of our world and our lives. He's not shocked by this. This hasn't been a heavy 20 years for him. He's not like, man, I hope this is almost over because I am exhausted. Son, Holy Spirit, come over here. Let's go out when this is over. Let's rest. Let's get some snow cones. He's He's not worn out. He knows the reality. And this is part of what the gospel tells us. I'm not just... Jesus didn't just die to redeem you. He died so that the power of God might fix all that's broken. And one day, He will indeed do that. N.T. Wright said, it's not a great faith you need. It's faith in a great God. That's my challenge to you this morning. It's not that you have great faith, but that you place your faith and your trust in a great God who will see you through who will see your loved ones and your friends through, who will not just see his church through, but see the continual expansion and victory of his church to the end of time as we know it. Just a minute, I'm going to pray for us, and when I finish, we're going to give you just a a moment or two just to sit where you are and simply pray. Just be still. We want to give you a, a minute or two of the gift of stillness and rest the band's just going to play and they'll let you know when it's time to stand and sing and we're going to close with yes and amen this morning and i hope you'll sing that like you mean it and like you know it's true because it is every promise in god is yes and amen let me pray for you and then you can have a minute or two just for yourself to to be where you are And to release to God whatever concerns or people are on your heart. And just ask him for what you want. You're his child. Let's pray. Father God. Yahweh. The covenant God. Faithful. Whose love is everlasting from generation to generation. Fill our hearts this morning. Release the anxiety and the stress. God, I pray that for some that this morning, this moment would be a turning point by your power and to the glory of your faithful name. Rescue some in here this morning, God, who are caught in feelings and emotions and thoughts they can't get out of. Set them free. God, help us trust you. Lift our eyes to you. And let us dance and sing and praise your name with the joy of redeemed people. God, I ask it and I expect it in Jesus' faithful, powerful, and glorious name. Amen.